seven mile road, there are three words that are important to us. Um, they define everything we are and everything we want to be. Gospel, community, and mission. This morning, three of us from the church are going to share with you our experiences um, in these things. I'm going to start by telling you about my experience with the gospel. I received my Bible when I was six years old from my uncle, who was a Methodist minister. It had a black leather-bound cover with gold leaf on the edges of the page. My first question to him after thumbing through the book was, why are some of the words red? He told me, those words are in the back of the book are the words of Jesus. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are called the Gospels. That was my introduction to what gospel meant. Growing up in an Indian Christian church, I learned that these books told the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It told me of how Jesus died for my sins. I always remembered the verse from John 3:16, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For over 30 years, I heard the stories telling of the life and teachings of Jesus at various churches. Every Easter, we heard that he died for our sins. It was an absolute truth to me, but one that I couldn't apply outside of church life because I became numb to the question of why he died for my sins. Being a process-minded person, I also struggled with why he needed to die for me. Couldn't God just erase our sins? To me, the Gospels were there to show me what I needed to do to be more like Jesus. The stories I used to help me try harder or pray better. It was a blueprint in which success was based on how well I listened or followed through. Jesus' death was part of that story, but ultimately I missed the point. My past few years here have been different. The gospel is not about what rules or behaviors I must follow to gain God. It's the story of how God and God alone rescued me through his son, Jesus. Jesus needed to die with my sins because through his resurrection, he defeated sin's penalty, death, enabling those who believe in him to have life everlasting. Jesus died for my sins because God loved me enough to save me and bring me back to him. It was never based on my merit or effort, in fact, there was nothing I can do to erase the mark and weight of all my sin. It was based on Jesus taking my sin, defeating it, and him giving me his perfect righteousness that I was allowed to be served. This is what the gospel means to me now. And I'm starting to see how the gospel applies to every area of my life. One area this has impacted me is forgiveness. If I feel like I was wronged by anyone, my natural response is to hold anger but I am now faced with the truth of how God responded to my sin in forgiving me. I'm reminded that forgiven people must be forgiving. It's also shaped how I respond as a father. I want my kids, Nyla, Kayla, Elijah, and Ezra, to know my love for them is not behavior-based. It's full for them all the time, regardless of what they do or don't do. That doesn't mean there will not be arguments or disagreements. That also doesn't mean there is no discipline. Rather, it means that I discipline them out of love rather than frustration. I make sure to tell them, no matter what you do, daddy's always gonna love you. We'll see if that lasts in the teenage years. <laughs> but probably the most recent example is what happened earlier this week. On Tuesdays, Princey works at night. So as soon as I come home from work around 5.30, she leaves to work around 5.45. This leaves me with helping with homework, dinner, cleanup, Bath time for the kids, brushing of teeth, and praying, all hopefully before 8 p.m. 
Last Tuesday, things were taking longer than usual, and some of them were not listening, which dragged closer to 9 p.m. My next reaction was to get short in my response and attention to them. At one point, my oldest daughter, Nyla, tried asking me something, and I told her sternly she needed to go to bed because it was too late. Kayla was upset, and her response to me was, Dad, you're being mean. Her words cut me because, number one, it was true. And number two, she was not concerned with the potential consequences of her speaking out, but rather she was more concerned that her big sister, Nyla, who she loves unconditionally, was upset. In one act, Kayla exhibited the gospel and her concern of her sister over herself and revealed to me that I'm still a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness. We all came back to Kayla's room to unpack just what happened. Apologize, ask for forgiveness for our sins, and pray. This showed me that the depth of my sin is beyond my awareness and comprehension. But so is God's ability to use anyone in any situation to bring us back to him, like he ultimately did through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. I pray that God continues to do a great work here at Seven Mile Road so that the gospel can continue to grow inside and outside of these walls over the next five years and beyond. So I've been at Seven Mile Road for about two and a half years now, and I am so blessed by the community I found here. And I'm getting choked up just looking out at you guys. Um, there's such an atmosphere of open, openness and honesty, which we heard in the video over and over again, right? And that's what um, has just really blessed me. And I think it's because we're so soaked in the gospel here. Um, we get to hear it every Sunday. We, we see it in our relationships with each other. Um, we're so messed up, right? All of us are so messed up. And, um, but God came down and saved us from our messed upness. Uh, and he, he's given us his spirit to help us to live more like him. And because this is true, and because we're constantly reminded of this here, it makes it okay to not be okay. Like Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, that he can boast gladly about his weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in him. Um, for when I am weak, then I am strong, he says. And that's something that Seven Mile Road has done such a good job at living out. It's okay not to be okay. Um, I've, had, I've had conversations with both Pastor Ajay and Benu when I've asked them how I can be praying for them, and they've just responded really honestly, um, saying, like, it's been a really rough sermon series and just really need prayer right now. And that honesty from them has helped me to feel more free to be honest in conversations. Uh, earlier this year, I was getting ready to help run a conference with the ministry I work for, and I was sharing with some people here at church pray for me. I don't really like serving people. <laughs> uh, um, so I asked them that they would pray that I would serve people with joy and not just do it to do it. Um, afterwards, I had this moment of, uh-oh, I think I shared too much. Everyone's going to think I hate people now. <laughs> um, but so the conference started and God was actually giving me joy and making me glad that I could serve our people. 
And then I had one interaction that just kind of wore me down, got me a little ticked off, and I was, I was feeling just annoyed. And then I got a text from someone here that I had talked to. And, I got an, and then I got another text from someone else I had talked to here. And they were asking, how's it going? I've been praying. Um, and I was able to respond, uh, not that great right now. Could you be praying, please? <laughs> and they did. And you know what? God reached in and changed my attitude. Um, and I just felt so loved and so supported and so not alone in what I was struggling with in the moment. And it was just like Paul says, God got the glory because I actually enjoyed serving and that's not naturally from myself. So uh, what a joy that that happened. Uh, another huge blessing to me here at church are our soul care groups. And those are set up to kind of help us to be better at being open and honest and sharing. So when we first start meeting together, we share we start sharing about our life stories, all the struggles and weaknesses and good times. And that's so great because you really can't have true community if you're not really sharing who you are. If no one actually knows who you really are, the parts that you never want to show anyone, the parts that you don't really like serving people and people annoy you sometimes, if you don't show that, then you can't, other people can't really know you and can't really speak into who you are. So my soul care group and I meet every other week, um, but we're in touch during the week too. We email each other, we text, just to say, how's it going? Or did you see that amazing sun this morning? Um, or just a quick, I really need prayer for this right now. Work is really intense. Or commiserate with me, this day is terrible. I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, and inevitably, one of us will respond with some truth and help each other turn our eyes back to God. Um, and how God's the one ordering our days. And that's what true community is all about. It's about encouraging each other. It's about being there in the really hard times, and the really good times. And reminding each other of the truth of God's love and urging each other on to love and good deeds. And I'm just so thankful that I found that here. I didn't wear heels today, so. Okay. <clears throat> so um, it's hard to believe this church is turning five. Uh, I sometimes forget that my family and I have only been attending Seven Mile for, for two years um, because, frankly, it's hard to remember what life was like before we got here. Um, eight years ago, God sent us to a dark, lonely, and evil place far, far away from home. It's a place that many of you have heard about, uh, perhaps even visited, and unfortunately, this is a place many of you once called home. This is a place known as New York. <laughs> While my wife and I toiled here for six long years trying to understand what we had done to deserve this punishment, <laughs> we heard about this wonderful new church uh, in Northeast Philly, which happened to be just down the road from where I grew up. I grew up on Darlington Road, walking distance from here, probably walk by this every day. Naturally, I was intrigued, so I did what any other rational human being would do. 
I started Googling Seven Mile Road, and I began to stalk this church online. <laughs> I know that sounds really creepy, but... Long before I met Pastor Jay, I started reading some of his blogs, um, and I began to get excited about what was going on back in my hometown. I don't think I've ever shared this story with him, but one day several years ago, uh, he posted a video online about the missional church. Um, it depicted the concept of a church that lives with an outward focus. Instead of using all of its resources to build itself up and en enhance the church experience for its own members, the missional church is one that sends its members out to live among the people, develop relationships, and, and spread the gospel by living a life of service uh, and love, just as Jesus did. Frankly, this video scared the heck out of me. Uh, it was a model I was completely unfamiliar with, um, and, and I was very uncomfortable with the idea of mixing church and, and state, so to speak. At that stage of my life, uh, I wasn't going to be someone who shared my faith with friends or family, or let alone complete strangers, and I certainly didn't think God could use a broken, sinful, and unrepentant man like me <clears throat> to share his good news with anyone. I decided that I would keep attending a large church in New York in relative anonymity, and that if we ever got back home to Philly, perhaps Seven Mile Road would not be the church for us after all. Fast forward to 2012, when God finally answered our prayers and brought us back home to the greatest city on earth. Uh, despite my reservations about the idea of attending a missional church, we felt something drawing us to Seven Mile. At the end of each service, I kept hearing Sibby say, go on mission, but I had a difficult time grasping what that meant. I always thought that mission was something reserved for those gifted people who travel to Asia or Africa or remote parts of the world to preach. But as my family and I continued to attend Seven Mile and began to understand the gospel like never before, God revealed to us that, that as Christians, we are all called to be missionaries. When Jesus left this world, he gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. I began to realize that if we truly cared about the ones we loved, our friends, our cousins, our siblings, even our parents, how could we not share the gospel with them? If we truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only path to salvation, how could we not share this good news with others? I found myself changing in ways that I had never imagined. I often found myself having deep, spiritual, and sometimes uncomfortable conversations with many of the people I cared about. I did this because God reminded me how he had used someone in my own life to reach out to me many years ago when I had moved 100 miles away from Philly and drifted a million miles away from God. That person was Pastor Binu. I found myself gravitating towards the children at Christ's home, <clears throat> excuse me, where our GCM serves teen moms and children who have been neglected or abandoned by their parents. I remember being inspired by the passion that people like Tina and Tracy had to serve this group. With each of them having three kids of their own and a million other responsibilities, they never bowed to the idols of comfort and free time as they easily could have. Instead, they were obedient to God's call to look after orphans and widows, and I felt compelled to do the same. I found myself traveling halfway around the world to work with the poor and marginalized at Bombay Teen Challenge after being inspired by people here at Seven Mile Road, 
like my brother Alex, John and Shelley, Winston, Asha, Larissa, Shibu, Shainu, and so many others. I also learned that as much as I love the people here at Seven Mile, there is nothing intrinsically special about any of us. These are not good works that any of us would naturally do on our own, and these good works cannot save us. Instead, I learned that God, it is God who saved us for, for good works and uses us despite our brokenness, despite our sinfulness, and despite our flaws. He has been using people like us throughout history to reveal himself to the world. In so many ways, that through the teaching of his word and through the relationships we've developed here at Seven Mile Road, God has revealed his plan for all of our lives to make his known, name known so that all glory will be given to him. I'll leave you with one story I recall from my recent trip to India. I asked our friend Jim how the founder of BTC, K.K. Devraj, came to know Christ. He was born into a Hindu family in India, and as an adult, he found himself working in the predominantly Islamic nation of Iran. If ever there was a man who had no business becoming a Christian, it was him. But one day, a friend invited him to a Bible study, and he agreed to attend. Devraj uncle said he didn't really understand what was going on while he was there, but he kept going back to the meetings, mostly because the food was amazing. <laughs> As he kept going back, the spirit began to work in his heart, and he came to know the Lord. When I heard that story, it hit me. K.K. Devraj, a Hindu man living in a Muslim nation, became a Christian, founded BTC, and God worked through him to save countless lives and souls, all because someone had cared enough to invite him to GCM, or at least the Indian-Iranian version of GCM. And God used someone's amazing cooking and hospitality to keep bringing him back. To think about how God orchestrated all of this is simply awe-inspiring. So whatever God, gifts God has given each of us, whether it is the ability to make delicious meals, the spirit of hospitality, the humility of a servant, the desire to lead or teach, the ability to relate to those around us, I have learned that God gave us these gifts solely so they can be used to bring others to know him. That is the reason we were created. This is what I've learned about mission during my time here at Seven Mile Road. As we turn five, I'm now proud to say that I belong to a missional church. And I'm looking forward to hearing more amazing stories of how God will use sinners like us to spread his message of hope and salvation. Thank you. I do not have much to add. Uh, when I was at Seven Mile Road, Boston, the church that planted us. I remember Pastor Matt Cruz, the guy who had planted the church there, often saying that the person who had been most blessed and benefited by church planting was him. And I remember not fully understanding what he meant back then. I completely understand what he means now. Uh, I would say, Shainu and I would argue, there has been nobody who has benefited more or been blessed because Seven Mile Road Church exists than us. God has used this to sanctify us the thought that we get to serve him with you is an undeserved gift from the Lord. To think that gospel community and mission are not just buzzwords or cool words that appear on a slogan, but that these are actually realities that are being lived out among us 
is the undeserved gift of God. To think that we get to believe the gospel together and over five years have grown in our understanding of what that means. To know that we actually get to live really in community, in transparent lives with one another through good times and bad. To think that we really are being an insular people like us who should just be thinking about ourselves are being turned by God's hand himself out towards our city and to the world. This is just a wonderfully undeserved blessing and gift from God for us. I think as you heard in the video, as our brothers and our sister have wonderfully shared for us, we have much to celebrate in, much to rejoice in today. What I want to just bring you is one verse, which I think calls us to take heed and be careful on this day. And that's this word from Deuteronomy. Just hear it as we celebrate it says, Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, God says this to the people of Israel after he had set them free. He said, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good to you in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Right? You hear the warning? The warning is, beware, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, who did these great and wonderful things that you saw. Beware. And there's a part of us, I think, when you hear that verse that goes, how could Israel possibly have forgotten the Lord their God? That, how could that even be in the realm of possibility? I mean, Israel is the nation. If you've read through those portions of the scripture or seen the Ten Commandments, you, you know, that's the, the nation. The most powerless people on earth had been delivered from the most powerful nation in the world. Plague after plague lighting up Egypt. God parting the sea. God prying open the hands of the most powerful nation in the world. Some of you have worked with BTC and you know what a slave is. You know what it's like to be caged. What would it be like for the most powerless people to walk out, no spears, no swords, no bow and arrow, not a single finger of their own, and God, part of sea, pour down bread from heaven. They're thirsty in the middle of the desert, and a river just gushes out of a rock. And it's to them that God says, beware. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, so that when abundance come and your silver and gold is multiplied and everything that you have is multiplied, beware that you forget the Lord your God, that in that season you might say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. And so God gives us these words to say, even with the best of intentions, there is this slippery slope in our hearts that could ever so subtly and ever so slightly take our gaze from God and just subtly look down and put our gaze on ourselves. Ever so slightly. In fact, did you, did you notice in verse 17, nobody would even say it out loud. Did you hear verse 17? Beware lest you say in your heart, 
my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Meaning, it wouldn't even be something you would utter. It would sound so preposterous to come out of your mouth. It would just be this hidden, fleeting, maybe even thought in your heart. Look what we've done. Could you picture it? It's, it's the slight shift that goes from that to that. And that's all it is. And I think the word for us is, and the reminder for us that you've heard from our brothers and our sister and all throughout the video is, look what God has done. And what we want to do today is we want to make sure our eyes stays fixed in the heavens. And we say, look what God has done. Look what Jesus has done in five years, because this is what Jesus has done. Right? Romans 11 verse 36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. So that means Seven Mile Road is from Jesus, and it's through Jesus, and it's to Jesus, and it's for Jesus. So to him be the glory forever. Look what Jesus has done in five years. Look what Jesus has done in bringing us into existence. In a few moments, I'm going to show you a video from some pastors who love us and some other churches to greet us and encourage us. One of them is Pastor Matt from Boston, who helped plant our church. He rightly reminds us, today is about what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has done. He brought this into existence. And we know that because a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, he was standing with some disciples, Matthew 16. And he, a homeless 30-something-year-old carpenter, looks at his friends, and he makes this promise. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you were standing in that huddle that day, I think you'd ask questions like, what's a church? How are you going to build it? How are you going to do it in such a way that even if hell breaks loose against it, it can't stop the advance of the church? And yet 2,000 years later, billions and billions of people all over the globe, of which we're a tiny speck, are caught up into this thing because Jesus has kept his promise. We're in existence because Jesus did what he said he was going to do. If you think through each one of those words, I, right? Who, who did this? I, Jesus said. I will. It's a promise. It's not may. It's not I intend to. It's not I hope to. If everything goes right, I plan to. I will. Here's a certainty. Here's a promise. I will build. Right? Not stone by stone, but by saving sinner by sinner and calling them from the ends of the earth. I will build my, right? Not yours, not mine, but my, Jesus says, I will build my church, a people gathered from all over the place to give glory to him. I will build my church, and no matter what hell throws against it for 2,000 years, and you just have to read the news to know what hell is throwing against the church of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ will stand. Seven Mile Road won't stand a thousand years from now. But, but I have great hope. There's no church at Galatia left, no church at Thessalonica left. Even the Apostle Paul who planted churches, none of those local churches exist. But the church, capital C, exists and forever will. And we get to be a small part of that for all eternity now. For all eternity, we get to be a tiny picture of Jesus' promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Look what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has done in providing for us. Right? From the, to this day, if we tell the story of where we're sitting, Christian or non-Christian, 
when we've told the story of a people giving a $2 million property for free, everyone's mouth drops. Christian or non-Christian, they go, how did that happen? Two weeks ago, we had the community party. A non-Christian, I was telling the story, he kept asking me, explain that. How does that happen? Explain that. Right? Look what Jesus has done from the place we're sitting in to the websites that we have had, a boiler for free, the floor you're, you're standing and sitting on, that was put in for free. He has provided us everything we could possibly imagine. No one put into a church planting plan, move to a city, inherit a $2 million property. That's step two, right? Look what the Lord has done, providing us all that we've needed, all the money that we've needed, all the resources we've needed, all the support from other people and other churches that we've needed, to think we're not on an island, but there are people we don't even know by face or name who love us and are praying for us and are with us and who have encouraged us for five years and more. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done in bringing people here. Look what the Lord has done in giving us children. Eighty-something kids. That is the gift of God to us. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And our prayer for them is that they would walk with Jesus better and closer than we did. They would love him more faithfully, follow him more nearly, live for him more passionately than even we did, and that they would exceed and excel all that we've ever tried here. Look what the Lord Jesus has done among us in giving us unity. You think of that. We come from a lot of different backgrounds, and even church backgrounds. And to think that in five years, Jesus, by his grace, has kept discord and division and all the others, malice and backbiting and, and slander and gossip and all the rest away, and protected us from the work of the enemy who is actively against Jesus' church. Look at what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Look at all that he's done for us in all these different ways, in turning us and sanctifying us and using us for his name and glory. Look at what he's done even in giving us spiritual life. Just think of that for a second. If you have an ounce of spiritual life in your soul, Look at what the Lord has done in these years of seeing people come to Christ or baptisms or even your own heart. If it has moved even an inch towards God, that is what Jesus Christ has done and only Jesus Christ has done. I, I was joking with a friend yesterday that I have this habit every Sunday morning, the way I prep for preaching is I drive to a parking lot, uh, the Dunkin' Donuts parking lot early in the morning while it's still dark and I preach to my steering wheel. And so for 10 years, my steering wheel has heard every sermon that I've ever preached. And I've thought to myself, you know, if there was a way, that would be the most Christian thing in the world, that steering wheel, right? And the, and the thought is, and it's a dumb thought, but it's, it's a true thought, is there's a better chance of that steering wheel being a Christian than you. The Bible says you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. That you and I were in active rebellion against God. And if there is an ounce of spiritual life in your soul, it's because God always brings dead things to life. And takes that which is inanimate and gives it life and breathes into it. It is a miracle, an absolute miracle, that dead people like you and me should have hearts that now beat with love and faith in Christ. So come whatever, whatever your week has been, whatever sin is going on in your life, to think that once he's got you, he's got you for good. And he, he saves us. Look at what Jesus Christ has done.
And so our hope for this day is that all of our hearts now, as we pray, as we sing, as we take communion, would just make much of Jesus and say, look at what you've done. That each of our hearts would have things to offer up to God, spoken out loud or in our hearts, of what the Lord has done in his goodness and his kindness to us. So what we want to do is just show you a video to encourage you of some pastors who want to say good words to you and call you again to the Lord. And then we want to just finish our time with prayer. Okay, so I'll show you this video and then we'll pray.